A wonderful good morning to all of you. I hope you're all okay. I know the, the nation is anxious, waiting what is going to happen uh, later in the day, tomorrow. But uh, today we don't want to think about that. I want to take your mind off these things. And uh, we want to focus on the Word of God. You know, God has always got answers to all our needs, to all our anxieties. And uh, I believe that God is uh, really giving us encouragement from his word, even for our own situation. So today, as we are still awaiting results from uh, last Thursday's election, let us not worry about what is going to happen. You know, uh, God is fully on con in control and he is going to guide us through this very situation. Today, I want to speak about uh, a subject which you may think is somehow connected, but I don't want to connect it from there. I want to speak about the Word of God, okay? And I have entitled my, my sermon today, In the Hour of Crisis, God Steps In. In the Hour of Crisis, God Steps In. And I want to show you this principle, which I call a salvation principle, that you see in Scripture over and over again. And, you know, as you listen carefully, probably you have experienced that in your own life. Especially, you know, uh, all of us should have experienced it at least once, you know, when we came to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and he was cleansing us from our sin and un our unrighteousness. So today, uh, let me just read from the book of Hebrews as I start. The Bible tells us here, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. The verse before says, let us draw near to the Lord. You know, let us come to him. And he says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us, not, and let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, so we are in a process, and there's a day approaching, which is the day of the Lord. We all know that this day is going to come, but in the meantime, we are here. In the meantime, we have to hold on to the, to the promises of God, because God is faithful. In the meantime, we have to look up to him, and we have to encourage each other for love and good deeds, as uh, scripture tells us. Now, my second scripture, we find it in the book of Genesis in the book of Genesis chapter 15 and verse 18. Now this is a long story, but I just read a few verses. And uh, these verses, I just want to simply show you a principle here. You know, I don't want to delve deep into that story because otherwise you would not have time for anything else. But in Genesis chapter 15 verse 18, the Bible says, his brothers, these are Joseph's brothers, then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You, in, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. What a powerful story. Let us pray. 
Lord, our God, we want to thank you so much for your word. And we pray, Lord, that out of this word, give us the word that strengthens us, that encourages us, even for our own situation in uh, our personal lives as well as in the nation. Lord, we want to thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what you have said, that is what you're going to complete and what you're going to do. Lord, thank you that we can hold on to the hope that you have given to us because you are absolutely faithful. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in the midst of crisis, God always reveals his plans. You know, we see here Joseph, who was uh, the ruler of Egypt, you know, who was given by Pharaoh all the powers, except just to sit on the throne, but otherwise he had all the powers of Egypt. He was uh, the absolute ruler of that nation. And of course, that nation was having all the supplies that were needed uh, to keep people alive. And of course, that was exactly the people of his family did not have. And of course, other nations as well. And so all of them, they were flocking to Egypt to try and buy what they needed to survive. But then, of course, you know, the brothers of uh, Joseph, they had loaded guilt upon their own lives because they were mistreating their own brother and eventually sold him to be a slave, just short of killing him. Uh, they were uh, just getting rid of him. Now, it took a long time. The Bible shows us that it took 13 years. And of course, if uh, these brothers would have met their brother Joseph maybe six months afterwards or one year afterwards, who knows how Joseph would have been reacting to them? Who knows how he would have uh, treated them? But then, you see, uh, as the brothers of Jesus finally came 13 years later, and uh, of course at first they didn't even recognize their brother. He, he had to reveal himself to them. But then, you know, when they were finally standing face to face, they were shocked because they were standing on guilt. They had put themselves in an impossible situation. And if you read that story, you'll find a lot of details that show you, you know, how how they were tested even with their own younger brother, whether they would do the same thing again as they did to Joseph uh, earlier on, whether they would dump him and forget about him or whether they would really stand with him. Thankfully, they did learn a lesson. They stood with their brother, Benjamin. <clears throat> but then they stood before their brother. And what Joseph had as a dream many years prior to that became reality. They all knelt down before their brother. Of course, before when Joseph had a dream, they were rejecting it, they were getting angry. They didn't think that God was telling them something about their own lives and their own future. But finally, you know, that dream came to be fulfilled. And you know, sometimes when God speaks to you and you don't understand, don't just, don't just put it aside, but put it in your heart. You know, the Bible tells us that Mary listened to all the words that the angel told her, and she put it in her heart. She didn't know what to do with it. But she was not, you know, putting aside and said, ah, this is impossible. But she put it in her heart, considering what would happen, what would God do 
through all that which has been, had been said to her. And that's exactly what we should do. You know, now the brothers of Joseph, they did not do that. They were, they were getting annoyed. They were getting angry. They were, uh, you know, retaliating. Even so, there was nothing to retaliate about. But they were just so incensed by their younger brother who was insinuating, at least that's what they thought, that one day they would all kneel before him. And now that moment came in their lives when they were not even asked to kneel, but they knelt on their own. They threw themselves down, as the Bible says, okay? And they were pleading to become slaves, you know, to at least be left alive. Because, of course, you know, David was the ruler of Egypt. He could have done anything with them. But thank God, in certain years, the man in front of them, their own brother Joseph, had changed. He became a different person. He was not somebody who was trying to pay back with the same currency as they paid him. He was not trying to retaliate in any way. You know, one would have said, of course, he had a right to do that. No, he didn't do that. But actually, he showed them mercy. He spoke kindly to them. He told them, listen, we must understand that what you have done, yes, it was done so that you would harm me. But there was a greater hand in everything, and that was the hand of God. And he, you know, moved in between all of these happenings, and he did it to save many people's lives. So, you know, whenever things happen in this world and you, you get annoyed because you, you don't like what is going on, you know, don't forget, it may, God, it may be God who is doing something greater that you cannot understand at this particular moment, at this particular time. So they had to all learn, you know, that is Joseph himself as well as his brothers, that God had a greater plan despite the wicked things the brothers of Joseph did to him. You know, they intended to harm him, for sure. In fact, they planned to kill him. And only because of God's intervention through one of the brothers did they actually stop to, uh, to lay hand on him and kill him. But it was definitely their intention to harm him and shut him up. And of course, they managed to shut him up. For the next 13 years, they would not hear anything of him. And they thought he was dead. They believed their own story that they told their, their father that your son is dead. You know, they, they were using his clothes, put it in blood, and then they took it to his father. And they said, you know, a wild animal has, has torn him apart. He's no longer there. And of course, they believed their own lie. So many times, that's what we see in our world, you know, sometimes people believe their own lies. People are very good in, you know, manufacturing lies. But if you lie, please don't believe your own lie. Because one day you will come face to face with your lie and then you will not like it. Okay? I think, you know, we see this in our world many times. So you can't try to tell yourself a story which sounds good, but which is a lie. Because sooner or later you will face the reality and the reality is different. And that's exactly what happened here. You know, when the brothers stood before Joseph, the brother they told their father is dead. And probably they had, since they had not heard of him, 
They believed he's God. He's no longer there. And all of a sudden, there he stands. He doesn't even stand there as a slave, as they had sold him, but he stands there as the ruler, as the one who had power, as the one who could do anything to them. That's why, you know, we need to learn to be kind to others because tomorrow they may, they may actually rule over us. Okay, very good lesson. I think a lesson for Zambia too. Because sometimes it doesn't pay when you are trying to put somebody down all the time. The time may change. So God himself is the one who turns things which are intended for evil and turns it into good. You know, that's why Paul can say, I know that for those who love the Lord, all things will work out for good. Amen? For those who love Jesus, everything will work out for good because God has a hand in everything, even in the wicked things that people may attempt, may be doing, may be having in mind. So we are called to draw near to God because here we find grace and we find help for our needs. You know, and that's the encouragement of God. Time and again, you know, if you feel like you have been wronged, if you feel you have been walked over, you know, draw near to God because God is the one who is going to help you. And you know, this is the message that we must learn that God is faithful and through his faithfulness, we also should become faithful. We should spur each other on towards love and good deeds. That's the desire of our God. Now, today I want to give you a few stories from Scripture, okay? Not just any story, but from Scripture. You know, when you look at the Bible, you'll find that this book is not a religious book, okay? Even so, it tells us a lot of uh, you know, rules and regulations and directions, but it's actually a book that is giving us the stories of human beings. You know, if you go into the book of Genesis, you'll find in chapter 3, you know, chapter 2 and three, chapter 3, you find Adam and Eve were created and then fell. Okay, then you go to chapter 6, you find Noah, who has been called in the midst of... Uh, a devastating situation. You go a little bit further in chapter 12, you find Abraham. Okay, and in between, there are many other characters that God is using to build his kingdom. So let me take you to the story of Noah. And of course, you may say, I know the story of Noah, it's not a problem. But you know, we need to once and again stop and reconsider what we think we know. Let me read for you Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. This is a description of what had happened to the earth in a very short period of time. Of course, in terms of years, it may have been a long time, but in uh, terms of history, it's a very short time. So the Bible says here, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Hey, that is a devastating account, devastating uh, testimony, if you see it from that angle. The Lord, now this is a very strong word, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth 
and his heart was deeply troubled. Imagine, even God can be troubled, not only you or me, but all of us. We need to consider uh, the nature of God because even God can be troubled. Because when things don't work out according to the loving plan that he had laid out, of course, then he has a right to be troubled. Verse 7, so the Lord said, okay, the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that moved along the crowd, for I regret that I have made them. Uh, that's a devastating account of mankind. Verse 8, but, thank God for a but. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Now, in the midst of a depraved and devastating situation, as God himself describes it, in his word, there is one man who sticks out. And you know, God always keeps his eyes on this world that he so much loves. Now, this was judgment time. But even in judgment time, God always provides a way out. And I think, I think this is one thing that we can see is so different from any human inclination or any human plans and the plan of God, okay? Or if you study the religions of this world, if you study the gods that some people do worship, I mean, some of these gods are terrible gods, you know? Once you are in their, in their grip, you have no chance. But our God is a God of love, okay? And that is what we must understand. Now, unfortunately, mankind had gone beyond rehabilitation. And if... I say that, you know, if I would make a judgment and tell somebody you have gone beyond rehabilitation, then I think that would be a very short-sighted statement because I don't know what, what is in the heart of a person. And, you know, we have seen people who have been really out and about, you know, where you have no hope anymore, but God can still bring them back. But when God says that, then you can be sure that there was no, no, no more way of salvation for these people. In fact, they were ready for judgment. And we must understand, you know, just like we have a legal system in our country, just like we have judges in our country when evil has been, uh, has been uh, perpetrated, you know, then somebody has to appear before a judge and judgment has to be made. We accept that, that's a reality. Because society, you know, the people who live right, they have to be protected from the evil. And so God decided that it was time to judge. He is the creator. He is the maker of all things. And that's why he has the right to judge things when they go wrong. So clearly, the Bible shows us that it was time for judgment. God is stepping into this terrible situation in order to bring correction. And you may say, but what correction if everybody is going to be wiped out? 
Well, thank God, there is always a remnant. There is always somebody who sticks out. And if you read this account about Noah, you know, you can see how Noah was sticking out of everyone else. You know, all of the people have become so rotten, so depraved. But there was one man who was walking faithfully, you know, in his time. The Bible says he was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. So in other words, the people of his time, they were not interested in righteousness. They were interested in their continuation of evil, pursuing what they ever had been doing before. But Noah had a testimony from God that he walked faithfully with God. And so God said, okay, let me reset the situation. Let me start afresh. Let me remove everything that has been there before because according to his judgment, it was beyond rehabilitation. And so God spoke to Noah in order to start afresh. Genesis chapter 6, verse 12. <coughs> Genesis chapter 6, verse 12 tells us, God saw how corrupt the earth had become. Corruption is a word that we all are familiar with, isn't it? Because we know corruption. We know what corruption means. And God saw corruption. You know, I believe that God sees corruption not only in those days, but he sees corruption even today. You know, he sees corruption in a nation that calls itself Christian. And he's not pleased about that. So God saw how corrupt the earth had become. For all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So in other words, they were willingly going into corruption, okay? To such an extent that even God said, it's beyond redemption. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put to an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make room in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. I'll stop here because this is a long story and you can read it in your own time. Now, let's understand. As something comes to an end, as, as mankind, the wicked uh, generation of this time comes to an end as there is judgment prepared for all of them God has still a plan and God gives that plan to Noah okay amazing an amazing plan now God gave that plan of the ark into the hands of his servant the only one who was walking faithfully with God and Noah took that plan and God did not build the ark. It was Noah's responsible to build, responsibility to build the ark. Very interesting. It was God's plan, but Noah had to make it come to pass. And Noah made it come to pass. We don't know how he built it. You know, some people think that it took 120 years to build it. Actually, when we very carefully 
consider scripture probably didn't take that long. It may have been taking 50, 60, 70 years. Because the Bible tells us that, you know, Noah had children when he was 500 years old. Okay, and the flood came when he was 600 years old. Okay, so if you go about this, okay, you can think that maybe it could have taken 50 years, 60 years, 70 years. And during that time, the Bible tells us that uh, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So in other words, he was preaching the good news of salvation to the people of his time. Because the ark was not closed for anybody. The ark was open. Anybody could have walked in. Okay? And we know that the animals that God brought along, they were walking in. And eventually, even Noah and his family, they were walking in, but nobody else did. It is very likely that many people who were living in the days of Noah were helping Noah to build that ark. Okay, I don't think it was just Noah and his three sons, because, you know, some of these uh, works needed manpower or artisans to do certain works. So it's very likely that many of these people were helping him to build but of course, they were laughing their head off because they said, you are crazy. How can you build a boat on a dry ground? Okay. But then, you see, when God provides salvation, it may not make sense to us human beings, but he will still do it anyway and anyhow. So God provided the blueprint and Abraham did the job. And I believe through his work and even through his words, he brought a message to the people. That's why he's called in the book of Second uh, Peter, a preacher of righteousness. He brought a message to the people, a message that God provides salvation out even of judgment. But of course, they neither believed in the judgment nor did they believe in salvation, exactly like we see it today. Okay, people do anything anyhow. Believing they can get away with it. But, you know, scripture is very clear that sooner or later you have to face your evil. You have to face your own actions. And that's why it is important that we learn to, to live right. You know, as people of God who have their sins forgiven, we should not go back into evil again, but we should do the best that we can to live a life that is righteous before God. You know, we should walk upright just like Noah did, blameless among the people of our time, walking faithfully with our gods. And that's what he did. And we know that the ark is a, a very powerful illustration of Christ. Okay, Christ is the ark that God has given to us so that everyone who walks into it, everyone who believes in it, you know, those who run into Christ, they are safe. Amen? So God has a plan. And remember, this is our, our subject for this year. God has a plan, always. Even when we don't understand why a situation is happening, even when we, when we shudder to think about the judgment that comes over the earth, God still has a plan, even in the midst of judgment. This is powerful. This is great. You know, and let me tell you, God always has a way out. In the hour of crisis, 
our God steps in. Amen? Now let me take you a step further. You know, that was Noah, and Noah kept the human race alive. Okay? Noah was going through the flood, through the judgment. It didn't affect him and his, his children and his, their wives and his wife. It didn't affect anyone who was in the ark. Okay, but whatever was not in the ark, whatever was not hidden in the plan of salvation was destroyed. And that is the message for today. Anybody who is not in Christ will be destroyed. You know, these are not my words. These are the words of God. And that's why we live in a time of grace. You know, the time when Noah was building the ark was a time of grace. Where anybody could have decided, okay, let me also become a passenger in the ark. Let me also be safe. Unfortunately, nobody took that invitation. Today, we are living in the time of grace, and we are extending our invitation to people in this world, leave your wicked ways. Come and walk with Jesus, because he has brought us salvation. We talk about salvation. We preach salvation, and still people think they don't need it. Because they neither believe in judgment, nor do they think they need salvation. Only people who have come face to face with the Lord do really understand that they need salvation. Now quickly let me read the book of uh, Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. Now this is God speaking to Abraham. At that time he was still called Abram. Okay, so... The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make you a great name, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples of the, on the earth will be blessed through you. Now what a wonderful uh, promise that God has given to Abraham. Now, Abraham was a descendant of Shem, one of the sons of Noah. Of course, through many different generations, you know, he was uh, eventually born as a son to Terah. And uh, the, the, the story of God begins in Ur in Chaldea, where people were just worship, worshiping idols. And uh, the journey began from Ur in Chaldea, but unfortunately the journey only went up to a city called Haran. If you look at your map, you will see it's quite distance, but it's actually not necessarily going into the right direction where God wanted to lead Abraham to. But then God was, was uh, having a plan, okay? Now, the people had multiplied again, and people had, you know, continued to do evil, continued to walk away from the living God, worshiping idols. So, you know, it was like going back to where, you know, the people who had been judged have been before. But this time God says, okay, it's not yet time for judgment. It's time for me to work out salvation. Not just through an ark, but in a, in a more wonderful way. And so he called Abraham, and he said, I'm going to make you a great nation. 
I'm going to bless everyone who blesses you. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. What a powerful uh, promise. And of course, Abraham soon became into a nation, became a nation. You know, there was his son Isaac, then his son Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons. They became 12 tribes, and the tribes grew, you know, from the first uh, scripture we have been reading here when Joseph was uh, speaking to his brothers. He gave them land where they could be able to settle uh, during the famine, and of course, that's where Israel became a nation. So the promise of Abraham was very clear to them. They understood that message, but unfortunately they misinterpreted it because they felt they were better than everybody else. And instead of really becoming a blessing to everybody, they were becoming proud. Now, when God called Abraham, it's because he had a plan. And the plan was to bring a savior into this world. You know, God didn't want mankind to be without hope, without a way out, without finding their destiny. And their, our destiny is, according to the plan of God, on the side of our creator in the family of God. We are called to be not only children, but to be sons of the living God. Of course, before you become a son, you must become a child. So God's plan was very clear. God called Abraham in order to provide a savior for not only Abraham and his descendants, but for all of mankind, for everybody who lived on the face of the earth. And he reveals his plan to Abraham. I'll make you a great nation, but I'll make you a nation for a purpose. Okay? And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. That is through your seed. And today, of course, we know very clearly that the seed of Abraham is Christ. Amen? So now, every time things go wrong, God reveals his plan of salvation. You know, when there was judgment to come over the people of, uh, of Noah's time, God provided the plan of salvation. And in the ark, everybody who was in the ark was able to escape judgment. Once again, God speaks about the blessings that God provides through Abraham's seed, that is Christ himself. And all the nations of the earth who embrace him, all the people of the earth who receive him, they will become children of God, they will be blessed because that is God's plan from the very foundation of the world or even before the foundation of the world. Unfortunately, the nation of Israel did not stay on track with the promises of God. Now, Abraham was a man of faith. He was a believer. And the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews very clearly that he was looking forward for the city whose builder and whose uh, maker is God, whose, uh, you know, planner and builder is God. Amazing. Okay, so Abraham had knowledge about the plans of God that are far beyond our understanding. 
But unfortunately, a few generations down the road, the people forgot about that. They misunderstood that. They were becoming proud. They said, we are the chosen nation. And of course, because that happened, God had to once again, you know, put things right. As faith deteriorated to become religion, God time and again revealed himself. And one of these revelations was to Isaiah. Okay, it's not the only one, but uh, he's one of the striking revelations that we see. Let me just quickly go to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. The Bible says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, I think that is very striking because probably Uzziah had taken such a high profile that people didn't see God anymore. But in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. Do you know that even angels cannot look at God? Just like we human beings can't look at God and still remain alive, as the Bible tells us. So even angels, they had to cover their faces in the presence of God. Okay, so there are two wings with which they cover their faces. With two, they cover their feet. With two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Well, maybe you don't see that glory, but let me tell you it's there. Okay, sometimes we become blind to the glory of God, but the glory is filling this world. At the sound of their voices, the topos and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe unto me, I cried. I'm ruined from a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. You know, in the altar there was always fire. So one angel took that fire and, and, and brought it to Isaiah. Okay. With it he touched my mouth and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. What a powerful story. Now, most probably, Isaiah didn't really see the Lord. He must have seen, you know, some of his glory, but if he had really seen God, he would not have remained alive. But God transformed the life of this man that he was going to use as a mighty uh, megaphone to the world, as a mighty voice in his world and even up today in our worlds. Now, Isaiah didn't have a message before that experience. But when God you know, put that fire in his mouth, he had a message, and a very powerful message. He was able to confront 
the nation of Israel, and you know it's a long book if you read it, you will find it many times how God confronts the nation of Israel and even other nations, uh, neighboring nations around. And of course, all of this is prophetic speaking, prophetic word. But we need to learn to understand and interpret. But then God was looking again at the situation of his own nation Israel that had become like any other nation. It had just become religious. You know, they were proud that they had a temple, they were proud that they had a temple service, they were proud that they had priests and all of this, but then it was no longer real. And that's the problem with many people even today who call themselves Christians, but their faith has become cold. And I believe this was the situation, not only in the time of Isaiah, but even in the life of Isaiah himself. You know, he was actually in the temple, probably he was a priest in the temple who was doing service, but, you know, it was more like a, like a religious duty, not really seeing God. But this time, he had seen the plans of God. God gave him a very clear vision. So he wanted to confront the people of Israel who became selfish and religious and thought of themselves as better than others. But he wanted to put their record straight, making them understand once again what the mission of God was all about. And so he appeared to Isaiah for that purpose. He anointed him with a message that he was to speak about. And you know, the message of uh, the prophet Isaiah is absolutely striking. Let me just read just two very short scriptures in order to show you how clear the message of Isaiah was to make the people of Israel recognize that it was not them as a nation who should be proud about you know, being children of Abraham, but actually that it was the seed, the son given, you know, the, 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 the child born, the son given as our savior. And this is what, you know, Isaiah, clearer than anyone else, was bringing out. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6, the Bible says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and a government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The seal of the Lord will accomplish this. You see, this is the God of planning, the God of uh, a structure <coughs> who tells people, this is what I'm going to do, Okay. Things are not just happening by accident or coincidence. No, this is the plan of God. And even so, it may happen only in 700 years because, you know, uh, Isaiah lived about 700 years before Christ. But this is what I'm going to do. And, you know, this is evidence because nobody can know all these details about a person coming to be born 700 years later unless God himself is revealing it. Amen? 
Let me go a little further in the book of Isaiah 53. In verse 4, you can actually read the whole, the whole passage because it's so powerful. But verse 4 says, Surely he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Okay? Now this is put in the past tense, but yet it is going to happen into, into the future. Amazing, isn't it? And so God is saying, this is what I'm going to do. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Praise God. We are all sheep. We are all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Praise God. This is the good news. The good news of salvation. That's the principle of salvation. You know, when things are bad, when things are not the way they should be, God comes through and lets his glorious gospel shine. The good news is shining into a dark world. Unfortunately, <clears throat> even so, the message was strikingly clear. The people of Israel were only shortly turning to God and then were going off again. It's a tragedy. And you know, <clears throat> when this tragedy happens, we must understand that God will never give up. <clears throat> God calls people to keep his agenda on course. And every one of us is important. That's why every one of us ought to listen and hear the message of God. And today, you know, God has given us this message so that we pay attention to it, so that we listen to it, so that we follow it. Amen? You know, one message that has deeply impacted me in my young life, you know, I was 17 years when I gave my life to the Lord. Okay, I'd gone to Sunday school when I was young, and, you know, a lot of things happened, but <clears throat> eventually I came back to the church when I was 17 years old, <clears throat> and I gave my life to the Lord. And one of the stories that really touched my life is the story of Jeremiah. Little did I know that God gave me that story of Jeremiah because many of the things that God had called Jeremiah to do, he called me to do as well. So God is busy fulfilling his promise no matter how depraved the situation is. And you know, when Jeremiah was living, the people of Israel were far away from God. They were about to be taken into exile uh, in Babylon. And actually, uh, Jeremiah himself was taken away from Israel because they would not heed the voice of uh, that prophet Jeremiah. So God gave Jeremiah an amazing call. Let me just quickly read that. The Bible says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. Okay, I've... I've been trying to find out how young uh, Jeremiah was. 
And he probably was around 17 years old, just like I was when I gave my life to the Lord. Okay, now, that was far too early, according to, uh, to the ministry of the Old Testament, to actually get into that position of a prophet. But God called him. And you know, God can do anything. But the Lord said to me, don't say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Don't be afraid of them, for I am with you and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and he said to me, I've put, I've put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms. Okay, now listen, this is very important. God says to Jeremiah, I, I have appointed you over nations and kingdoms, and my message, you know, my, my, my uh, work for you is to uproot, to dare, tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Now, I don't know whether you can see this quickly, you know, uh, it's very interesting. The mission of Jeremiah is twofold, okay? It's twofold in the sense that there were structures that had grown that were corrupt, that there were things that happened that were not according to the plan of God. And God says, before something new can be built, the old stuff has to be removed. And you know what? You know, this is a fourfold action. God says, uproot, tear down, destroy, and overthrow. These are terrible words, isn't it? But according to a false system that exists on the earth, these are accurate words. Okay, these are the words that God himself is using because he says, I cannot do anything with the system that prevails in Israel. And you know, that is true even today. There's a system that has, that has come into our nations, that has come into the church, that God says, I cannot do anything with, this, with that system. So it needs to be uprooted. It needs to be torn down. It needs to be destroyed. It needs to be overthrown. Okay, now this is double the effort of the second action. The second action is to build and to plant. Okay? But there are only two words to describe that, build and plant. But before you can build and plant, you must have the double action, the four, uh, the four different words that describe that action with uprooting, tearing down, destroying, and overthrowing. Now, thank God, it is not meaning that human beings should be torn down, destroyed, uprooted, over, overthrown, but the systems that are not fitting in the kingdom of God need to be dealt with. Okay? And our mission today, and this is not just for me, but for all of us, our mission today is that when we have removed false structures, then we have to build the structures of God. We have to build and to plant. I think that's why I'm a builder, okay? I think this is evident in my life that I'm a builder, okay? This is why I treasure planting, okay? You know, I, I, I always uh, have had that in my, 
and my heart and my DNA, sometimes without even understanding and knowing, but this is something which is very dear to me. You know, when I designed the, the, the logo for uh, Crescent University, uh, I came up with a logo and then I put a, a tree on top there. And people said, this you can't put there. And I said, who is this? Since I'm the founder, I can do what I want. Amen? So I put the tree there because I believe, you know, that we need to bear fruits. Okay? Fruit is a very important subject in the Bible. You know, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. And we are branches so that we bear fruit. And when we bear much fruit, we bring glory to our Father. According to John chapter 15 verse 8. That's what we are here for. So let us understand our God is an awesome God. Okay? So when things are in crisis, you can be sure that God will step up and step in. And I believe this is true for our nation. You know, so don't be, don't be uh, afraid. Uh, don't lose your composure. God is fully in control. What is happening today, God knew it even from the, before the foundation of the world. Okay, so don't, don't give up. You know, don't fear. Don't panic. There's no such need because God just uses such times to even unfold his greater plan that we have not seen before. And it is my prayer that through this period of time that we are going right now, we will be able to see much clearer what the plan of God is all about. I believe a lot of uprooting has to be done. A lot of clearing up has to be done. And we pray that may God use all of us to erect a nation that is God-fearing. Not just with the lips, you know, because this is the problem of the people of Israel. They always were good in lip service. Even when Jesus came, they were very good in lip service. But their heart was far away. And it's my prayer that may God speak even through this situation which we are encountering right now in our nation that something greater, something more powerful is going to grow out of that situation. And listen, brothers and sisters, we are called upon to be people who make a difference. May God bless you as God is guiding us into a new era. Amen. Let us pray. Lord our God, we thank you that you are on the throne. Lord, that you know everything long before it happens. Lord, what is happening in our nation today has not taken you by surprise. But you knew it and you allowed it. And so Lord, we look up to you and we pray, Lord, give us guidance. Give us understanding. Let us not stand in your way, but rather, Lord, let us be ready to fulfill our calling in you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have laid out your principle of salvation for us so clearly. And let us be people who bring a new way of relief to the nation of Zambia. People who are able to preach the salvation of Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you do. And we know whatever you do, Lord, it is not in vain. To you be the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. And everyone say, Amen.
Amen. God bless you.